City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Welcome to the Draft Show on the All Hornets Podcast Network. Chase is subbing in for part two of this episode, but I am being joined by Tyler Squared, Tyler Rucker, Tyler Metcalf of the No Ceilings Podcast, who are going to do a, a great job standing in for Chase in part one. And we're going to be getting on our final thoughts here before the draft, which is this Thursday. Uh, Rucker, Metcalf, I, I don't want you to talk about Rucker, how are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me on, James. I'm excited. It's draft week. Um, I feel like the the Charlotte Hornets are holding all the keys to all of our excitement. So I'm especially excited for this one. Thanks for having me on. No, no worries. And and, and Metcalf, do you want to kind of tell people maybe a little bit about where they can find your work, what what you guys do in terms of your podcast and your written content over at No Ceilings if they've not heard of you before? Yeah, I mean, you can follow us across all socials at No Ceilings NBA, and we do uh, year-round draft coverage and college basketball, G League, all that kind of stuff. Uh, written work at NoCeilingsNBA.com. It's 100% free. Um, and it, if that interests you and you want more basketball in your life, uh, we also have the No Ceilings NBA show podcast, uh, also Monday through Friday, 100% free. Absolutely. And if anyone's looking for something to go read right now, you have to go read – Corey's piece and no ceilings about Brandon Miller, uh, which he's just published with literally within, I don't know, a few hours of us going live here. And um, if, if you're, if you're a fan of Brandon Miller, go, go read it. If you're a Brandon Miller skeptic, go read it. It's the same, it's the same message here. Uh, a really great piece put together. He was able to like, just put things into words that in my head made sense, but I couldn't figure out how to communicate it. So I'm glad someone could do that. But um, th- the reason we want to have you guys on today is, uh, we want to get some final thoughts going into the draft and um, we're going to cover that. We're going to talk a little bit about the kind of the, the journey to where we are in terms of the reporting and Intel all around Charlotte too, which has been a really interesting journey full of twists and turns a little bit about the, the mellow scoop fit. And then we're just going to get into some predictions for draft night. So I guess, you know, I, I'm someone who's followed the reporting at Charlotte two all the way through. I mean, you guys have probably followed from a distance and like you say, Charlotte hold the, all the keys. What do you think of the kind of how we got to this point where it was Miller, 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 maybe Scoo. Okay. Now it's Scoo back for second workouts. It's been a, a strange process or is it completely normal and Hornets fans are just overreacting because it's not happened to them before. Uh, I'll go ahead and I'll start off. Um, I think it's really important this time of the year uh, to understand that a lot of these front offices, (laughs) I know we don't believe it, but they do know what they're doing. And it's a lot of smoke screens. It's a lot of, you know, misdirection of where you're really trying to go. I mean, we saw last year with Orlando magic, we were all convinced they were going to take Jabari Smith. Then all of a sudden, you know, the day of the draft, there was a huge moment. If you, if you like to follow the Vegas spreads, like I do, when it comes to the draft, there was a huge movement for Paul Bencaro going number one. And we were like, Whoa, what's going on? And then they ended up going that route. I think we're sort of seeing the same thing with Charlotte. Now it's not to say that they didn't have Brandon Miller ahead early on, but I know that organization takes those private workouts to heart. Yeah. They've shown a history of that. And, 
when you put those pieces together, it's not shocking to me that Scoot Henderson's been wowing them because I, I think he was going to wow everyone. And, you know, Brandon Miller had that, you know, it's been reported he had mononucleosis. So that's kind of struggled with his process just because he lost some weight. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm in the boat. I don't think they can lose. I, I think both guys are fantastic picks. I just have had Scoot Henderson number two all year. I think that would be my pick. But if they decide to go Brandon Miller, I think you're getting potential superstars with both selections, both projections, you know what I want to say. I mean, from a reporting standpoint, it doesn't really feel that dissimilar to recent years. I mean, Rucker already mentioned last year's with the Jabari Palo um, debacle in terms of reporting. But I think when you have two guys who are very worthy of the number two pick, there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets put out there to see how people react to it and to try and gauge interest in terms of trades. Um, you know, there has been a lot of reporting that you, I'm, James, I'm sure you're way more familiar with it than we are, but there's been reporting that Charlotte's expecting to make the playoffs next year. And to do that, I think a big trade would have to come through. So that's where I think whether it's raising interest for a certain prospect, potentially raising the price for that pick to really be wild for a trade. I think it's just a lot of gamesmanship. Um, and I don't really think it's anything super dissimilar to what we've seen in every other year, because it's just, you know, front offices using reporters and moving pieces on the chessboard. Absolutely. And, you know, with the new ownership coming in, which is also new news, uh, since we scheduled to kind of do this podcast, that's also interesting how this affects the whole thing, right? I mean, you know, Kupchak and Jordan are going to be there for the draft, but there is no world that this new ownership consortium don't have a, a voice in the room, have, you know, they're being kept up to date, that there will be something. They aren't just kind of going to be in the dark here, I don't think, taking over mid-July, being like, oh, who did we draft in the 2023 NBA draft? Like, they're going to be engaged with this. And like you said, whatever their prerogative is in terms of, you know, playoffs next year, we've just seen Matt Ishbia come in at the Suns and just like set fire to money and trade everything away. And I don't think a new owners would probably do that in Charlotte, not with the stage they're currently at. But it's but it is something to keep in mind about what they were, what their steer is going to be. Are they going to be more patient? Jordan has generally been pretty impatient as an owner, probably too much so at times. Even though, even this past season, the team expected to make the playoffs. That was the plan. I mean, took a bit of a hit when Miles Bridges, you know, was missing for pretty much the whole year. But that was still the plan going in. Um, I, I actually think they're in a better position now. And I know you guys probably agree. If they'd have finished like tenth this year, you know. Charlotte is in a much bleaker place than they are right now. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it was interesting. Jonathan Wasserman said, you know, the Miller going to was a rumor that snowballed. It's basically kind of what he said the other day. And I just thought that was like, I just can't imagine how that actually does just happen. This rumor just snowballs and no one actually knows where it's sourced from. And all of a sudden it becomes becomes fact. It's just the world of NBA draft intel and reporting. I, I still feel... The, the kind of the audience we're still learning and adapting about it I think it's it's that's what I'm saying this time of the year is crazy when it when it comes to what you're trying you're trying to find any reliable Intel you can and even if you do get it you're trying to figure out like what do you believe or a lot of smoke and misdirection like I said before is just getting pushed all over the place because especially with this draft there's so much uncertainty like obviously we know the names that should go in the top three. 
but when you get past that, I mean, it could go in so many different directions. It's, it's, that's why it's going to be so exciting this year because there's guys that could go eighth that could also go 18th. Like it, it's just really, really crazy. And I think the Miller thing was legit. I, I think from everyone I've asked, they were all like, yeah, I believe he's going to go too. Now mm-hmm. I think that direction could be shifting right now because scoots probably wild them in workouts. They obviously they were bringing them back. As you probably know, James, they're bringing them back for another second interview, which means they're really taking this down to the wire and it's it, you can make an argument for both guys and it, it, it makes sense to me i i just think scoot is a culture shifter and if yep. charlotte is wanting to get back on path of having a great foundation a great culture i don't know a better guy that you can get than scoot henderson i think he's going to claw his way to be the best possible player he can be and i think he's going to bring anyone with him on that journey. And I mean, he's going to work to make his team better too. So I think highly of Miller as well. It's just, they're both unique. They both have their different weaknesses. It's just, which direction do you want to go? And if Charlotte wants to see if, Hey, we can't pass up scoop, but we think this could work with him and LaMelo, then I understand why that's getting some traction. Matt Goff, I, I want to have some uh, independent judgment here, and I want you to tell me if, if you think this is crazy. Michael Jordan did not attend the first workout for Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, reportedly. So they're bringing them both back in, what now, three days before the draft so that he can meet with them. Am I crazy for thinking that, like, why the hell is your owner who's involved in decision-making progress not there for the first workout? Like, what is this just me being like overactive as a Hornets fan or would you be as livid if it was your Timberwolves or if it was your Celtics Rucker? Um, I mean, as fans, I think we probably don't realize that that ha- probably happens a lot more than we wish it would. And, you mm. know, all of these owners, you know, that even when they preach that of, about how hands off they are, they're not, these are their babies. These are their hobbies or toys. They want to mold and do what they can to it because it's a, Tory to them in some extent and yes i know michael jordan is competitive as all hell but is he really that much different than any other owner and a track record suggests not um if you are going to be super involved and having the final say yeah you want your guy there on all of them but it's probably more of the process of him leaning on his front office to give him intel and give him their reactions and their scouting reports. And if now they're going round two and he's coming in, what that suggests to me is that there are a lot of split or split opinions in that front office. And Mm. they're like, Hey, Michael, we, you know, we're 55, 45 leaning this one direction and you're going to have to make a call here. And maybe that's why he's coming in. Um, If you're going to be, that involved and that hands-on though with the number two pick in an incredible draft especially at the top you'd like that to be a little hands-on right away but i guess better late than never yeah i I, i'm right there with metcalf i think it's one of these things where you put a staff in place to get you into a final decision and now that it's coming down to the wire of like okay these are the two guys we're thinking about it's like, okay, let me see what we got here. And obviously he's coming in for the right workout because it's one last final hurrah. So I think a lot of owners would probably do that. Like, look, GMs, the smart GMs, I've talked to guys around the league. They're like, my first phone call every morning is to my owner. 
because I'm going to keep them happy. Like that's exactly what I want to do. I want to keep them in a loop with everything that's going on in the organization, what we're looking at. So it, even with Jordan's foot out the door of him potentially selling this, I'm sure he's been updated throughout the whole process. But now, like Metcalf said, I wouldn't be shocked if they're like, Hey, half the room is leaning this way and half the room's leading the other way. We're kind of on this side of the fence more, but we would like to get, you know, your final opinion and see what you're thinking. And then I'm sure they'll have one final kind of regroup with the whole war room and and be like, okay, we're going to go this direction. This is where we're comfortable with. And we'll find out what's going to happen on Thursday night. Well, I, I have no doubt if I were to sit in a room with Scoot Henderson for four hours and have him speak and then watch him work out that there is only one way I'm going with that. Because like, you know, when I watched the, you know, the film of both the guys over the year, I had, I had Miller number two, but you just, you need to watch a handful of interviews. You watch these guys work out and it's hard not to come away more impressed in that, in that particular environment with someone like Scoot. So that's why. I think a lot of fans, I think the betting market is kind of like you say, leaning that way now that Scoot seems to have got that momentum. And and I don't know if that train's going to stop now. But I, let's go on to a little bit about if if Scoot is the pick, I want to look at this mellow Scoot fit in a little bit more detail. Um, so one question I want to plug first, I'll come to you, Metcalf. Would you look to be staggering them for the full 48 minutes? Like right, they're on the Hornets. Are you staggering them for 48 minutes? Are you looking to play them and have a backup point guard come and do the second unit, keep them together? How is it we're approaching that? Because we know that debate's going to be coming if they end up drafting them. Um, what would your kind of, how would you look at it first? Or is it just you experiment and see? Um, I started both immediately from day one and I want them playing together as much as possible because if it's not going to work, we're going to find out soon. And we're not going to waste years on this experiment. We're going to find out by all-star break or, you know, at least by the end of year one. Um, And then with that, I want at least one of them on the court at all times. So you start them, you play them together for a bunch of minutes, then one comes off, then you, that's when the staggering and stuff starts to come into play. Um, But no, I, I think I, the Hornets have the number two pick for a reason. They're not, they, they shouldn't have title hopes or expectations um, next season. And they should be using it as an opportunity to figure out whether Scoot and LaMelo is going to work or not. And that's obviously with the assumption that Scoot is no number two pick, which I think he should be. You got, you, you, you just have to figure it out. You can't waste seasons on experiments like this. And with pairings like that, with two guys who have historically need, needed the ball, but have shown flashes and capabilities of playing without it, you got to just throw them into the fire and figure it out right away. I'm in the same boat. I, I, I think you got to start them both from day one. They're going to both have so much talent to, and I, I do believe it could work because the NBA is transitioning to just combo guard heavy, where it's like you we're kind of getting away from this. Like, okay, you have your point guard, you have your shooting guard, you have your small forward. Now it's like guards, wings, bigs. And you kind of just put the pieces together and figure out where everyone can go. I think LaMelo could work off the ball. Like you're going to add the six, seven guy with great feel and great playmaking with, you know, they played him a little bit off the ball last year with like his catch and shoot abilities. I think he's developing. Now you get Scoot, you really got some firepower, especially in transition. Like they would be just demons together running the court. So it, I think it's a worthy 
if you even want to call it a roll of the dice, but I, I just think you're picking at two. You don't find Scoot Henderson's everywhere. And just because it, you have a point guard you took years ago at that same spot, does not mean that you want to pass this up or you're in a spot to be like, well, let's not get the best guy. Let's get a fit better. And I think Brandon Miller is worthy of the conversation. I really do. But I'm focusing on Scoot here because I do think he has all the tools to be just an all-star for years to come. And, and I know Hornets fans are very passionate about LaMelo, but I think Scoot's upside is higher than LaMelo. So do you want to pass that at two? because you have someone on the roster already. And I just don't think they have a roster where they can be like, let's pass talent for fit. Like, I don't think they're that close. Uh, no, I agree. And I, I think you make a great point about, you know, LaMelo playing off ball. I mean, let's not forget, he grew up playing off ball because he was playing with his brothers, right? right Lonzo right. had the ball all the time. And, you know, he was a floor spacer and he, he was a passer. Now, obviously, yeah, in later years, he had the ball more in his hands. But he is not someone who from day one has just always been the lead point guard. Um, you know, and I think the other thing, we've talked a little bit about this, like LaMelo, I mean, I don't know how much you guys have kind of seen his interviews and stuff. He is a happy-go-lucky guy. He doesn't scream uh, kind of like a leader right now. Maybe that will come with maturity. You never mm -hmm. want to rule these things out, but uh, it's not something that I see being on the cards in terms of like the guy to get everyone on the page, you know, to be the second coach on the floor. That's not what I see. And I think you, you do potentially see that with Scoot. But my question is, I think the offense is, is like fine. I have no questions. The question is defense. You know, Charlotte had Terry Rozier as their other kind of backcourt teammate with LaMelo board last couple of years. And they've been a poor defense both years because they're playing a point guard size in Terry Rozier, who is like an okay defender, I would say, uh, combined with LaMelo, who's been a poor defender to this point, improving this recent year, but a poor overall nonetheless. How do you think it works defensively? Uh, who's guarding the ball? Like, what is Scoot's defensive ceiling? Um, yeah, I don't know who wants to come in on this one. That This is the biggest question for me. It's just like the defense with two backcourt guards where the defense is not one thing I think you start talking with either of them about as a strength. Yeah, and obviously it's a concern, but I, I think Scoot's, excuse me, I think Scoot is a much better defender than what he showed last year. And in the games where he really locked in, the games where he looked like he gave a crap, uh, he was good defensively. Just go back and look at the Metropolitan 92 game, um, the first one before he got hurt. He was really good defensively there where he was get, getting over screens. He was moving his feet. He was using his strength to impose his will on Tremont Waters. He was making weak side rotations to be a defensive playmaker. There's real stuff there. But when he gets accused with coasting this year, that's kind of the area of his game where I think he coasted this year um, because it, it didn't feel like he lived up to his potential of what he could be on that end of the floor. Um, I think in the NBA, I think he's going to be a lot better um, when he's not being, you know, just trying to make sure that he's getting through a full season uh, to to get drafted and, you know, all, all the stuff that goes into that pre-draft year. Um, I, I think there are real tools there for him to be a really good defender. And then when you throw him on point of attack, then you can kind of, quote unquote, hide LaMelo a little more off ball and let him use his size and length to uh, rebound, which I, I do think he is a solid rebounder. And then 
kind of use that awareness and anticipation and to gamble a little more as a defensive playmaker. So it's not going to be the best defensive backcourt in the league by any stretch, but I think Scoot, Scoot's defensive upside is so much more than what it showed this year. Um, and to a point where it can start covering up some of the weaknesses of some other guys. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with Metcalf. I'm not too worried about Scoot's defense. I think seeing it in person at the game that Metcalf's talking about, like you can tell when he was fired up, like it's there. Like it, the potential for him to be a respectable defender at minimum is there. Um, so I, what, one ahead. question I have, because it's a point you both guys made, like why is he coasted then, right? So right, right, This right, is right. one of yes. these questions, which is like, oh, well, when they're engaged, like, well, why is this guy not engaged all the time? Like, I don't think Brandon Miller coasted at any point this year. Like, I, like, I think he was trying to kill guys from the minute he got onto, like, that, that practice against TCU. He tried to do it in the tournament. It didn't go very well, but he, but he tried. I didn't see him coasting. Like, why do we think that is the case? And is that, is that something that we should just assume he can just switch on? No, I, I don't think it was with some with Scoot. I think first half of the year, I saw a lot of good stuff defensively when it came to flashes. But it didn't, a lot of people got to remember, like, had a nasal fracture, literally had a concussion. I think he was out like two weeks or something. There was rumors he was going to get shut down for the rest of the year because people were like, we've seen it enough. What else does he need to show? He comes back. He keeps playing a little bit. Um, it, but I feel like you, he was hitting his stride early on in the beginning of the year off the top of my head. Like his numbers were solid. He was shooting it good from outside. Then he had that injury. I think he had an ankle injury that they were being cautious about. Yep. Um, so like it got to a point where I think he was kind of like, okay, I've played pretty much half a year, three quarters of a season. What else do I need to do? Like, let's, let's be safe about this. Let me get healthy. I'm never going to be worried about Scoot's motor. Never. And I think if anything, there's levels to his game that are going to be unlocked at the next level because he's going to be foaming at the mouth to prove to everyone he's legit. I mean, he's had an interview, I think, with GQ, and it was when Brandon Miller was getting hyped as going, like, second. He's just like, you know, they got nothing to talk about. College basketball, the tournament's on right now. And, and I think it irked at him. And from everything you hear, he's mature beyond his years. He's a workhorse. I think he's just going to be a guy that you, you're trying to drag out of the gym, not get him in the gym. You're trying to calm him down because he's just going to be motivated. And I'm not worried about his shot at all. I think that's something we always get really nervous about with guys. And I think yeah. it's almost like they're going to figure it out. They're going to be living in the gym, shooting all day. I'm not too worried about it. He's a hard worker. So I know like what how we're saying it with the defensive side, like, there was some flashes and you'd want that more consistently. I think that'll be unlocked in the next level with him going up nightly basis against some of the best players in the world and, and a good coach that will hopefully hold him accountable. Well, a little in podcast task here after I've made my next point, I, what I'd really like to hear from you guys is some defensive outcomes in terms of players currently in the NBA that you think like scoot could be in the NBA. What just while I make this point. So before I did this podcast, I had this thing in my head that backcourt uh, guard pairings couldn't be good on defense. I was like, surely the history of the NBA has to tell us that. So I went back and looked. Um, 2022, Dallas Mavericks, Jalen Brunson, Luka Doncic, you know, you can call them guards, whatever. But they finished really respectable eighth in defense this year. Now, they had 
Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleber, Reggie Bullock starting alongside them. You know, elite defenders all kind of at their positions, really. Maybe not elite, but very good defenders around them. You then go to 2018, the Blazers. You have Dame and CJ. They finished seventh that year. Now, other years, they were like 15th. A few of the years, they were in the 20s. They weren't consistently good, but they showed the flash. And they had, like, that was really the team. They didn't have any great defensive players next to them, like Alfrak Armanu, Nurkic were there, but no- nothing special. You go back to the 2018 Rockets. You've got Chris Paul, James Harden. They finished sixth. The 2020 Rockets, they had Westbrook and Harden. Uh, they finished, I believe, they were top 10 as well. And then you've got Garland Mitchell from this year with the Cavs, who are obviously one of the best defenses in the league. But they had Evan Mobley, Jarrett Allen, Isaac Okoro. And those Houston teams also had like Tucker, Covington, Capella. So you you can get there with these dual guard lineups. I was actually quite impressed by some of the, the defensive metrics when you go back and look in history. But there was one common theme that apart from that 18 Blazers team, they were surrounded by like elite defenders. And that's not something Charlotte have right now, but that's something I think the Hornets would need to keep in mind if they were to select Scoop going forward. Um, so yeah, just that was, thought that was a really interesting. But I want to come back to you guys now uh, and hear about some kind of defensive ceilings or outcomes you think for Scoot Henderson if, if, if when you go first. Metcalf, you want to take that one? Oh, I'm trying cool, to give you. like that, 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 that bus that you just threw me. No, in no, the well, here I'll, I'll let you. I'll I'll buy you some time. Here's here's something I think that's important about all that is, let's say Charlotte takes Scoot. Um, I, now they got to go to work. Now you got to get start surrounding him with the right pieces because if you're investing at Scoot at two, and you're saying we're going to give this a lengthy run with seeing if Scoot and Lamelo can work. Obviously, they've got more picks in this draft, but now you got to go find defense. You got to go find guys to put around him. We've talked about wanting the Hornets to have shooting for years so they could either look to attack that at, at the later picks in the draft, or you could try to find a defensive specialist to kind of slide alongside them. You also could try to find someone in free agency. Maybe you target a young player that you know could, could make his mark on that. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, I think... I'll let I'll let Metcalf focus on the defensive side of the ball. But James, you you posted something about like how there was rumors that Scoop measured in bigger, and, and mm-hmm. Corey's actually had a good little hot take on our team. He's like, I, you know, everyone talks about how Scoot reminds him of like Russell Russell Westbrook, um, Derek Rose, and he's like, I kind of get some Dwayne Wade vibes with his game, where it comes to just the physicality and the nastiness he plays with, where it's. It's not just yeah. his explosiveness, but it's his body and frame and how he throws that frame around to dish out punishment. So I think, if anything, with that wingspan, Scoot also has. I think that's going to make him even more daunting of an assignment for if I'm a point guard going up against Scoot every night. I'm like, not only do I have to deal with his speed on the defensive side of the wall, but now when he's guarding me, he's going to be giving me headaches all night with his frame. And he, I can't you know, bully him in the post because he's got me. So I, I still I, have flashbacks to when uh, Dwayne Wade blocked Tyson Chandler on a dunk attempt yes. from behind when he was with Charlotte. And I was thinking this, that's just not something that should ever happen. But you, you're right that the scoot had some of those like kind of plays this year where, uh, you know, that, you know, he, he had those big blocks out of nowhere and he's got those big, strong hands. So this is a really interesting point. 
And, and I had to back you up, James, because I saw you post that. And I was like, I literally stood in front of Scoot. Like, I, he is not 6'2". I was like, yeah, I'm about 6'1 and a half, 6'2 myself. And he was above me. So I was like, he's closer to 6'4 than 6'2. So I think everyone's been fascinating. Like, well, he's a 6'2 guard. Like, if that's a 6'2 guard, he is a big one. Because <laughs> I was like, I think he's closer to 6'3 and a half. And then you're adding that wingspan and that body that's he looks like he's been in the league for five years and been living in the weight room and he's going to be, you know, 18, 19 years old. Like I think he's just on the right path. I, I think he's going to be a star. So there you go, Metcalf. I gave you some, some time. To think. <laughs> if he's not got a name now, then he's not coming up with one. I reckon. No, I, I, I'll give you a couple. Okay. So I, I, I think worst case scenario, he's a Russell Westbrook esque player or defender where in the prime of his career, he's kind of fooling, so a good portion of you know fans into thinking that he's a good defender because he makes some really high level steals and defensive you know there's some defensive playmaking but in in general he's not really contributing to high high level team defense um so i i really think that that's like worst case scenario for him and with steve clifford i just struggle to see how he doesn't improve significantly these are two really, really, really lofty names. And I don't necessarily mean that he'll get to this level, but stylistically, I think there's a lot of like Alex Caruso and Drew Holiday and how he could defend with how physical and strong he is, how he can effortlessly bump guys off their spots, how he can absorb contact and then also dish it, dish it out. Um, he has the length to really disrupt ball handlers. If everything goes right, that is the type of defender that you want him to kind of grow into i know those are really lofty expectations um and i don't necessarily mean that he's going to be a multi-time first team all nba defender the tools are there the potential is there but stylistically i think those are two guys that he could really model his defense after two very interesting names and yeah i, I think like you say he he has the physical gifts he showed flashes Especially playing next to Lamelo, he's going to know that he's going to have to come in and defend well because <laughs> he's going to—he's not going to be able to hide each night like like he might be on some other teams. Uh, he's going to have to guard the ball. Okay, well, I, I want to move us on a little bit and let's get into a little bit of kind of prediction for now. Uh, moving off the serious stuff onto the soft and fluffy stuff. Um, let's uh, let's move on. Wild draft night prediction, and I left this open for you to do anything in the draft doesn't have to be Hornets related. So um, I, I can go first if you guys need some time to think or if you're locked and loaded and ready to go, I'm happy for one of you to jump out here. And this, is, this isn't this is the No Ceilings podcast here. So whatever you say here can't be used against you ever. So I want you to let loose. <laughs> uh, those days are over, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, oh I'll let you go, James. I'll let you go first. Yeah, okay. If you've got one rock, rock, I've, locked I've got one locked and loaded. I've got okay. one locked and loaded. Um. So I have two, I have a, a little Bible of draft lessons that I keep each year. Okay. And I have two from last year and two of them add to one player. And that is one small guards drop from the projected range in the draft. So I have Sharif Cooper, Kennedy Chandler, Butler there from Baylor as like examples from over the last few years. And then I also have high volume slash high usage, but inefficient guards stocks fall. Jaden Hardy as the prime example from last year. And adding both of these together, I came to the name of Keontae George, who I actually personally, I'm really, I really like Keontae George. I think I've got Keontae 10, 11. Um, his decision-making is 
questionable, probably similar to Jane Hardy's was at times last year. But my wild predictions, I actually think Keontae George is going to slip down to the 20s. And if I want to be really specific, I think he's going to go to like the 21, 22 range where those Brooklyn picks are. And it wouldn't shock me if someone tried to trade it up to go to go up there. And, you know, I, I kind of like sneaky think Keontae George isn't being spoken about as one of the best shooters in this draft. But I think looking back in five years, he really could be. Now, his percentages will never show it if his decision-making and shot selection doesn't change. But... I really like Keontae George as a as a three-point shooter off the dribble, off the catch, um, you know, be able to get to some tough, deep step backs. I mean, the number of tough threes he made this year, which were just like, if you make one of those all season kind of shot, and I saw them multiple times. And, you know, see a little bit, you know, Fernie Simons type two in there in Keontae George. So that's my, I've been sitting on that one for a little bit and I wanted to, I wanted to get that out in this forum here. I like that one. I, the The problem is, is I love Keontae too. I think mm-hmm. Metcalf's in the same boat as me. We, we've been talking about him for months of just like, gosh, I love Keontae. Why doesn't he get more attention? Why isn't he yep. getting more buzz? He's like, I have him 11th on my board. Um, we got a new board coming out at No Ceilings this week with his, our final big board as a team. But like my personal one, I had him 11th. I've had him around that range all year. But he's my one guy that I would say if you're looking at the projected lottery guys, I think he's the one that could slide because it's just a lot. It's going to be a mistake. I'm, I'm with you yeah, there as well. I got I, him 11 I've, too. I'm, I'm right there. It's just I'm connecting the leaves of everything yeah. I've heard, everything I've read, everything everyone said. And usually when you keep seeing the uncertainty all over the place or hearing that feedback, that's not good because everyone might like him. But when they're on the clock, he might be fourth on their board. So they're like, well, we like him, but we like these other guys better. So then all of a sudden it keeps falling down. And then you get to a team like Atlanta at 15, where it's like, well, we like Keontae, but we have Murray and Trey. How's that going to work? So then you're like, well, okay, let's go another direction. So I think someone will be aggressive to go get him. If, if he's kind of tumbling a little bit, I, I'm right there with you. But if he ended up going to that point, um, be interesting. You get to teams like Lakers at, at 17 or it could be very interesting. I, I, I really do think he's an interesting name to watch because I love his talent. I think the Baylor fit was a little weird and I just really do think he's going to be a better scorer, better player at the next level. Yeah. Matt Carf will come to you next. Give us give us a little wild draft map prediction here. Um, okay. I I don't know how wild this is, especially consider where I, considering where I have him ranked, but Leonard Miller doesn't go top 20. Is that is okay. that spicy enough or no? I don't know. I think what I think his draft prop was 22.5. Oh, that's that, 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 pathetic. Oh no. That's, so maybe that's maybe yeah, with, maybe that's not wild. No, no, maybe because, it's not wild it, enough. It, it, because I've seen it, I think I saw it even higher than that too. So that might be a spicy one, uh, James. Wherever you found the twenty-two and a half, we got to make some money there. No, <laughs> um, but um, go ahead, McCaffrey. No, that one's a wild. He's a really fascinating name. I, I his range is everywhere. Like I, I can't get the same range when I talk to people. It's all over the place. Yeah. Um. All right. I'll I'll, I'll go maybe a little different route uh neither bryce sensible or gg jackson i might be recycling this one from the no ceiling spot but neither bryce sensible or gg jackson go first round mm. I be- yeah it's possible so i mean you, you, you're thinking back to what 
a month ago, six weeks ago, you think there's very little chance of that happening. But now that seems like it could be possibility. Both guys have really slid in the workout process, right? With either injuries or poor workouts or Intel stuff, it seems. Um, yeah, it's very, I mean, I think both would be interesting guys. So I think Charlotte would maybe take a look at in that early second round with that 34th pick, um, you know, especially Gigi, someone that they've worked out. So interesting. Rucker, how about you? Oh, man. See, we just did a hot take episode and Metcalf kind of tortured me about how weak my hot take was. So now I have to even get doubled down more. But um, I'll, I'll say Bilal Kulubale goes in the top 10. That's my Ooh. sizzling one. I don't know if I would have that, but I think he's got so much momentum and everything I've heard. It just seems like it's an avalanche of positivity with NBA teams. So I'm wondering if that's the, you know, the curveball that we're all like, whoa, there it is. And, and you know, I cheated a little bit. I saw a prop bet today that he was over under 11 and a half. And I was like, okay. And then I heard some stuff and I was like, whoa. So I know we, we heard rumblings about a promise to him, but I had asked someone and they're like, uh, I'm not buying that one. But you know, that's that's why we love this time of the year. It's a lot of lies and misdirection and smoke. And this is um, where you figure out on whatever it is, June 23rd, who you can actually trust next year, right? You have to go back is. and make those little yeah. notes. Like, ignore what he said. Like, it is. Yeah, yeah you good. circle the ones that are right. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah. it, there's so much confusion this year. I think everyone's doing a really good job around the league of almost playing, you know, cat and mouse games when it comes to like, okay, where's the interest? Where's the buzz? But um, that's also why this week's important to, to see who's who's getting brought in for the sneaky, you know, last second, second workout where it's like Charlotte's bringing in two guys that they're making it pretty public. But teams always out of nowhere. You'll find out like, oh, he's going into workout Wednesday. What? You know, or stuff like that. So, well, we'll I remember the, the draft a couple of years ago. Hornets had Kai Jones and Jalen Johnson in for second workouts, which was never publicized or, or made. There so when, when they traded up for that pick, I was like, well, this is going to be Jalen or Kai. And, and they ended up taking Kai. Um, I, I think Jalen would probably be the better pick now, but neither have exactly flourished in the NBA so far. Um, okay, let's, let's move on to our final topic here. I just want you to give me a final prediction of what you think. Not what you would do. But what you think Charlotte will do? I want you to give me two names: one for number two, and one for somewhere in the late first to early second, because there's no way Charlotte keep both twenty-seven and thirty-four. But you can, you can draw a name there of of what you think Charlotte will do on draft night. Just to finish this off here, uh, Rucker, I'm going to come to you first this time. I think they're going to take Scoot. I think they're going to do it. I think those workouts are going to have that whole front office stick into what they've always believed in. I, I I just thought, and it's nothing against Brandon Miller. I thought if it came down to the workouts, I thought it was going to lean towards Scoot because he's that impressive of a prospect. He's that impressive of a worker. You know, I think personally, if you're going off of all this whole class and you're just saying like, give me one game to kind of sell me on all these players. I think the top three names have the best three games. I think Brandon Miller versus South Carolina and then Scoot and Victor against each other. But I would place them Victor, Scoot, Brandon Miller because I think Scoot was just as impressive as Victor was in that mm -hmm. game. And, and I really do think Scoot has all NBA upside. So um, I'll say that for two later. Oh, gosh. 
Um, the problem is for months, I thought they're going to take Brandon Miller. So I've always been saying Marcus Sasser would be a great pick at the end of the first, but now I have to get creative. Maybe Ben Shepard, maybe, maybe that's a wild card. I don't know. I'll throw that. I haven't really connected that one. I think someone on the wing, if you could get Shepard or if Dariq Whitehead is somehow there, I think that would be a fantastic roll of the yeah. dice for Charlotte. Um, I think he's going to be a name that is going to get drafted. And in a couple of years, we're going to be like, what were we doing? But it was just a nightmare year. He had this operation that clean up supposed to be ready for training camp. But I think we didn't get to see the real Derek Whitehead at Duke. And with all of that, he took fantastic strides with his shot. So if if both worlds come together, some yeah. team's going to look like geniuses. And, and it makes a lot of sense because Charlotte don't need that late first, early second next year to contribute. Like they, they've actually got a pretty like interesting roster rotation set out. So there wouldn't be any pressure on that. You know, them missing some leagues, not a problem. Them not being ready for the season, even if there needs to be a third surgery, like not ideal, but it wouldn't be a problem. And Charlotte be, be willing to take that that risk. So that makes that makes some Seth sense. Metcalf, how about you? Uh, I, I think it's going to be Scooter too. I think it should be Scooter too, um, especially after Jordan gets in an empty gym with these guys. Um, that I don't. That's not an indictment on Brandon Miller by any means, but I think he's just going to fall head over heels for Scoot and just the insane competitor and worker and just versatile player that he is. Um, so I, I do think it's going to be Scooter too, and I think he'll be the right choice. Um, early second round, I'm just going to throw out a handful of wings here. Uh, Julian Strother insane shooter uh just absurd range julian phillips i really think he has og ananobi upside um and i don't understand why he keeps falling i think there's way more to his offense than he was allowed to show uh cd sissoko is another name that kind of keeps just slowly falling down big boards and mock drafts um i think he'd be a really interesting wing to take a flyer on uh some really interesting tools high level passer um the shot and defense are a work in progress, but trending in the right direction. Um, let's see. One other uh, rare and repair, insane defender. Uh, the range on him seems to kind of be anywhere from. Yeah, that's my guy. That's the one I'm holding out for. He's very unhornetsy pick because he's like international, a little bit risky, projecty. But that that's the one who I really think if they take Scoot, like we talked about adding some elite defenders mm -hmm. around him would be a guy that I'd be all willing to maybe try and roll the dice and uh but like you say his range seems really really wide from like 16 to 36 kind of thing yeah like it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if some team jumps on him like in the early 20s because they're just like like lanky agile versatile defender um yeah sign us up yeah also wouldn't surprise me if teams talk themselves out of him because of the questions around the shot and he falls into the second round and someone gets an absolute steal so i i think his landing spot could be really really interesting on draft night yeah well guys thank you so much for coming on appreciate it i know you guys are doing a live draft show over at no ceilings and draft nights so if you want a little bit different coverage i encourage you guys to go over and listen and watch that and i just want to say from everyone in the draft community well well done i mean it's it's you've made it this far it's over. The draft is finally upon us. You've probably talked and written about these guys maybe more than any draft class ever. I don't even know. But thank you from uh, from everybody who's you know been able to, to tap into your content. And thank you for giving up your time and coming on this podcast and giving Hornets fans one last kind of send off and listen before, before the big D-Day. 
Absolutely. No, thank you. So, thank you. A pleasure. Yeah. All right. Catch you soon, guys. This is the last episode of the Hornets Draft Show before the draft. We have 72 hours to go when you are listening to this. We are recording this a little bit ahead of time, but joining me for part two of our pre-draft show special, Chase Whitney, doing a little mock draft here uh, for the Hornets. Chase, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. The moment of truth is steadily approaching us. We have T-minus one week from when we're recording this. I mean, by the time this is out, it'll be even closer. We're almost there. Only a couple more days of anxiety and stress and conflicting rumors. Absolutely. And for part two of this episode, we're going to do a mock draft. So we're going to run 1-14 to through the lottery, and we're going to be picking what we think teams are going to do. This is not our choice. This is not what we think is most likely. This is what we think, you know, judging from intel, team need, talent, uh, what we think is going to happen. Then once we do 1-14, to we're going to run straight through uh, and do all the Hornets' second-round picks. So we're going to do 27. We're going to do 34. We're going to do 39 and 41. We're just going to skip straight to those. And the rule is anyone on the latest ESPN mock draft who is gone, previous to that pick, we're not letting ourselves pick from. So, for example, at number 27, a guy like Jaime Harkes goes 23 in the mock draft. We are not allowing ourselves to take Jaime Harkes at 27. We have to take other people who are available in the ESPN mock. We're using the ESPN mock because that is generally one of the most reliable, one of the most linked in, um, and that's what we're doing. So, Chase, are you ready to mock? I'm ready. Let's do it. Well, I'm going to go with the first pick, San Antonio Spurs, Victor Wembanyama. Like, has it ever been a duller draft process for, like, the most exciting prospect ever? <laughs> Just like, yeah, he's going number one. There's not much else to say. Yeah, there, there's like literally no chance. Uh, I, 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 there was a funny tweet yesterday when Bradley Beal, uh, that that t- trade rumor surfaced, uh, whether or not the Spurs should field calls for a number one pick in exchange for Bradley Beal. Um, what? Obvi- obviously, it was very, it was an insincere, it was, it was a joke, but yeah, I, that was about the the hottest rumor that it we've was. gotten in regard to the number one overall pick, and it was a complete joke. So, that, I think okay. that about explains it. No brainer here at number one. Yeah. Number two, and the Charlotte Hornets are on the clock. We're going to tackle Hornets together throughout this exercise. So we're going to alternate for the lottery teams, but we're going to put our heads together here. You know, Mitch and Buzz getting back together here. Um, so Chase, it's been a lot of hullabaloo, I'm calling it, in the, in the run-up to the, to the draft. It seems like Brandon Miller is a little bit less secure than he was maybe last week. I've actually cashed out on my bet for Brandon Miller to go number two because I was up on money already just from the odds changing. Because I, I feel the winds are changing. Um, we're picking what we think Charlotte are going to do. Chase, what's your what's your finger on the pulse right now? What do you think the Hornets going to do it to? See, I I think I still lean towards Scoot. I've been on on Team Scoot since lottery night. Uh, but I I agree though that it seems like the the seas are changing a little bit. Uh, yeah. the, we're, he's this ESPN mock that we're going off of for our mock here is still has Brandon Miller at number two, but. Sam Vecini has Scoot Henderson at number two in his new mock draft. Jonathan Wasserman has had Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson at number yeah. two. Plenty of other reliable sources have either had both or have had Scoot the whole time. So, I mean, a, we really don't know, but it's it seems like it's it's kind of leaning to more towards Scoot than it really has been at any point. So, and at this forward. point, we know the, the workout that they both conducted, that Scoot Henderson reportedly, according to Jonathan Cavoni, had the better workout and 
uh, really showed, you know, showed off in that workout. And when you're listening to this, we, we don't know if we'll hear anything, but both Brandon Miller and Skew Henderson are hopefully going back to Charlotte to meet with owner Michael Jordan, the, the traditional MJ meet, which seems to happen every draft cycle. Um, Chase, I'm leaning with you here. I feel like we talked about this before. Scoot Henderson is just going to like make Michael Jordan purr and, you know, want him to be on his team. Yeah. I think that's something that if they meet, I really only see that going one way. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Scoot Henderson. I think that's most likely at this point. Are you on board? I'm on board. I, I completely agree with you. I think especially if that is an interview slash workout, the, the one on zero setting, uh, where Scoot can just really display that athleticism combined with the interview where he can hopefully show off that that alpha dog mentality is, is going to win him over, yeah. I think. Okay, on to number three. Um, I'll let you go there. All right, third overall pick. This isn't going to be another quick one. Uh, I mean, now that Wemby and Scoot are off the board, pretty much the consensus number three prospect, Brandon Miller, it doesn't really seem like there's much of a debate uh, beyond Scoot and Brandon Miller for the second and third pick, it's kind of just which of those two players will land either in Portland or Charlotte. Uh, so I'm going to go Brandon Miller here, take him, yeah. slide him alongside Damian Lillard. I actually think that like the, obviously there's a, a ton of trade rumors surrounding this pick, but I feel like Portland is in a pretty good spot regardless of who they land. And if they can't make a trade, cause both of Scoot and Brandon Miller fit really well, I think on their team. And I mean, another six foot nine shooter that can defend and pass. I mean, the, the Blazers don't really have that on their team right now. So it's a, it's a great fit, I think. Agreed. I think that's a very sensible pick, very likely pick. Number four, I'm up, Houston Rockets. There's two names that I think they're picking from. I think Eamon Thompson. I think Cam Whitmore. The, the need would suggest Eamon Thompson. They do need a guard to go next to Gerald Green in the backcourt. However, I'm hearing some buzz from reports that are out there, from some stuff that I've heard behind the scenes that Cam Whitmore really is getting looked at very highly in this draft and teams potentially looking to, to trade up with the target of Cam Whitmore in that top five. And I don't know, there's something out there. I think like if Houston loved Eamon Thompson, we maybe would have heard a little bit more by now that, you know, that's their guy, that's who they're going for. For that reason, I think I'm going to go for Cam Whitmore at four to Houston. I think, um, you know, they've got a pretty forward thinking front office there. And I think, you look at his athleticism, some of his testing numbers, some of his shooting ability, and some of the, the real issues that Eamon Thompson would have as a shooter and how that would fit next to Shingun. I think I'm going to go for Cam Whitmore. Some strength, uh, rim pressure on the wing. Uh, he's not helping the ball movement. I have concerns, but I think they're going to tackle that point guard issue and some of the ball movement through their wider offseason moves. So I'm going Cam Whitmore at four to Houston. As this podcast's resident Cam Whitmore supporter... I fully support your decision here. I think I mean I think either Amen or Cam is a great fit on, yeah, kind of on either end of Jalen Green. Like you get a, a lead guard to pair with them that's super athletic. Uh, Amen and Jalen Green would be the most athletic backcourt in the league. But then Jalen Green and Cam Whitmore might be one of the more athletic like perimeter pairings in the entire league anyway. So you, there's really like obviously Houston, you know, quote unquote, lost by falling out of the uh, from the top of the draft to four. But I mean, this is still a pretty good deal for them in terms of fit. Like both of the guys that they're looking at right here are going are to be pretty good for them, I think. So good pick at number four for Houston. On to number five for Detroit. This is actually, I think, the draft gets pretty difficult here because this is not a, 
ideal landing spot for a uh, men Thompson. No, sir. Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivy at all. So I Don't think it's the draft. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't. I, I really, because I, I like Cade more than Jay or than a men Thompson. I think I'd, if they were all in the same class, I'd probably have a men higher than Jaden Ivy. But I mean, it would still, it's still close enough to where, given the situation that Detroit already has, you, can, you just can't really go in that direction. But I don't really know where else that you go in terms of an upside play. And I think that's, that's kind of something they need because they, they need another player, I think, to hit relatively big before they're going to be able to like make another playoff push forward. So I might be reaching a little bit here. I think I'm going to go for a SAR, uh, a men's twin, a SAR Thompson here at number five because he's a much more natural fit on the wing next to Ivy and Cade Cunningham. If the jump shot comes around at all, that he's going to be a wrecking ball defender, like three and D wing with extreme athleticism and the playmaking that he displays is not nearly as good as a men's, but it's definitely much more or like a near perfect fit for like a tertiary playmaking role. Cause he does have pretty good vision and can handle the ball pretty well for his size and his athletic ability. So I'm going to go with a Sar Thompson at number five for Detroit here. I think that makes some sense. And it makes my pick a lot easier at six. I am going to go Amen Thompson. Um, I know Orlando have got a bunch of guards, but let's be honest, they have a bunch of like low-end starter backup guards, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, um, Markel Fultz. Like they're all perfectly fine, but they're not the the kind of all-star upside guys that I think you're probably looking for. And I think like with Paolo Benquera as a half-court option, that's great. But you can really supercharge a transition game with having a man. Um, you know, he's also, I do think, like, ha- being able to not just be the sole creator on that team would be good for him. Like, if he went to Houston, he would pretty much be relied upon um, anytime that Shingun is in the game. Being in Orlando, he's got uh, Bancaro, he's got uh, Wagner brother there, <laughs> both Wagner brothers there currently, but he's got Franz there who can handle the ball a bit. So I'm going to go amen to six. I do worry a little bit about the shooting. Like Paolo isn't the greatest shooter. Wendell Carter isn't like a natural floor spacer, but he's okay. So I do have concerns, but I think at this point, you just can't pass on the talent. So I'm going to go amen Thompson to Orlando. All right. Number seven. I think I'm going to go Jairus Walker here for the Indiana Pacers. I think he's a, a pretty natural fit alongside Miles Turner, who can space the floor reliably right now. Well, we kind of figure out whether or not Jairus is going to be able to do that uh, without being more of like a creator type and being an off ball, like big man that is more of a connector, connective tissue, like role man on offense than what he flashed in high school uh, as somebody that can really create and make plays for others. But I um, mean, he, he's going to be a great, defensive partner for miles turner in the front court like he doesn't have to you don't have to worry as much about the positionless kind of concerns that you might have with jarris with miles turner there you have a great room protector somebody that can is miles turner isn't necessarily a switchable guy but he's more light of foot than many other nba big men that are his size and jarris can is also a, a pretty light light foot speed guy on the perimeter can switch down probably position you can run a whole bunch of different lineups you can use jarris at the five when miles turner isn't playing uh, I think this is a, a pretty good landing spot for Jairus Walker at the top here, which, I mean, I, there are a couple teams that it would be a little bit rough of a fit, I think, right away, but Indiana is not one of them. Yeah, and I, I'm a big fan of Jairus. I think I got him fourth and fifth on my board. I'd love to see him being able to play with a guy like Halliburton who can just, you know, set him up. So I'd, I'd love to see that. 
Okay, eight, Washington Wizards. Uh, this is a, well, you think it's tricky, but for me, it's going to be a full-blown rebuild. We've heard the rumors by now that they are, you know, looking to move Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma might, might not be getting paid to be brought back. It wouldn't surprise me if Pazingis one, opted out of his player option or opted in, and then they agreed to try and move him this summer. So for me, I'm looking for an upside swing, but there's no like massive guy in this range who I think is like a, an upside all-star player. Maybe like Bilal Koulibaly could be like an interesting real swing, but guys like Hendricks, guys like Dick Wallace, um, you know, Hawkins, they're all kind of like for me role players. And if I am rebuilding, I want a guy who I can kind of put the ball in the hands of, let him kind of gain some experience as ball handler. So for that reason, I'm going to go Anthony Black uh, in Washington. I think you can sell it to your fans. We're rebuilding. Let's give the ball to Anthony Black. Let's see what he's like as a point guard, even though I think his you know, best position on a great team might be less, a little bit less on ball. It's just kind of an option. But I think he is, you know, super big guard, great defensive guy, good culture guy. If you're trying to build that in Washington, so I don't, I don't love the upside swings. Say Koulibaly is probably the name on the list, but from what I've, you know, heard and reading through the tea leaves, seems like the public's a little bit higher on Koulibaly than maybe the NBA is. So maybe just a touch too high at eight for Washington. This makes my pick at nine for Utah. A lot harder because that <laughs> I, w- I would have gone with Anthony Black for Utah. Uh, I think he would have been a great fit as like a ball handler and defender at the guard spot because the rest of their guards are pretty small or mm. not great at facilitators. Well, the rumor is that Utah are looking to add a guard at 16. That's what has been reported out there. I think Rafael Barlow came on our podcast last week. That's what he reported is that they, they feel confident they can get a guard at 16 they like. So maybe that maybe that plays into your mind here. All right, that actually does play into my mind here. It makes it this is I think this is who I was going to go with anyway, but that that just alleviates all my concerns. So I'm just going to take Grady Dick here at number nine. Not the you know sexiest pick, the highest upside pick, but somebody that especially in that system with Utah, which you know it's not like he's going to a team that's in like a full scale rebuild and has very few quality creators and shooters and defenders around him. I mean, he's going to be able to go in maybe not play like a ton of minutes right away, but at least threaten to be a, a member of the rotation with how good of a shooter he is. He's a capable on-ball defender. He's a good athlete, like slasher, attacking closeouts, off-ball cutter. He'll get some buckets in transition. Uh, I, I, he's maybe not going to return the value of a traditional top nine pick, uh, given his like relative lack of creator upside and like d- lack of uh, positional versatility here. But I mean, this is a, I think this is a solid pick for a team that has a whole bunch of them coming up in the draft here. I really hope that isn't the case because I've got a, a Grady Dick over draft prop bet, uh, I think, of 10.5. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be a close one, too. So that, that would that be a would, close one. I also hard. regret putting a lot of money on Cam Whitmore to be drafted in the top five, and the odds weren't even good. I had immediately regretted my decision <laughs> when I did that earlier today. But um, anyway, on to number 10, Dallas Mavericks. I don't think Dallas is going to keep this pick. This is going to be gone elsewhere. The question is, if someone's trading for this pick, what are they trading up for? Um, like, again, I don't think there's some massive upswing upside guys who I'd want to take this high left. Um, I think I'm going to go for Taylor Hendricks at UCF. Um, I think people can look at him and go, great, like a contender could go someone who defends at a high level. 
can act as a rim protector, versatile, defend and switches, finish at the rim. Um, that's a guy who we can plug and play into a contender right now. And for that reason, I think that's the kind of team that might look to trade with Dallas here. Even though I think, and even if they don't trade it, I think Hendricks is actually a really good fit with Dallas as well. Like being next to, to Luca, being able to play with some of their bigs. Um, so I'm going to tell Hendricks to tend to Dallas. It's it's not, you know, a surprise. I think that's been mocked pretty frequently. But look, it makes sense for a lot of reasons. And the way the draft board fell, uh, I think it makes sense. Yeah, great pick. Great fit there for uh, adding another defender to that that nucleus alongside Kyrie, hopefully, and Luka Doncic. Number 11, Orlando's second pick of the lottery here. Oof, this is actually, this is tough. You already got a man for them. Yep. Hmm. They've got plenty of forward types in the new, in the, in the stable already. There's a lot of guards around, aren't there? In this they, range they kind now. of just have, yeah, they have a lot of young talent depth just across the board. Like there's really no quote unquote area of need for them. Um, so, Hey, why not just take, you know, this rumored uh, massive upside swing that we're going to get here in the lottery. I'll go with Bilal Koulibaly for number 11 here uh, for the Orlando Magic. Like uh, I mean, say Amen Thompson and Bilal Koulibaly both hit, you're getting two of the best defenders at their position in this class. And maybe if that pans out in the entire league at that point, I mean, some people think that yeah. Koulibaly has like all defensive, defensive player of the year upside even. Uh, that's a little bit too rich for my blood personally. Uh, I have him in like the early 20s on my board. But uh, I mean, this would somewhat track with the the rumored lottery promise that he's got here. Orlando seems to like these like lengthy, toolsy, athletic wing forwards. So Bilal Koulibaly for the Magic. Okay. OKC at 12. Known for doing weird stuff. I'm just saying it. That, you know, they take, they don't care about the big boards. They go get their guy. So I'm trying to think here. Who is Who makes sense for this team? They've got quite a few guards. Um, there is a name that I'm kind of drawn to, and I'm looking for a reason not to do it. Um, but, oh, I don't know. Can we, can I, is this too high for Derek Lively? Because I know they have Chet. I know that they is, have Chet. That is exactly who I thought that you were thinking of. So I don't think it is. For that, for that reason, I don't, I don't know if it is. It seems like his stock has rocketed, and he's, mm-hmm. a, you know, they, they don't have, they're not blessed with a lot of size. I mean, they're playing like nope. Jalen Williams at center last year. Um, yes, they've got Chet. Chet is like a skinny, might even be a power forward in the NBA. They need some size. They need some rebounding, um, some shot blocking, and I think like Chet and Derek Lively could actually probably play together a little bit. I agree. Let's do it. I'm taking Derek Lively. To OKC uh, at 12, I think going into the year, they would probably be thinking Derek Lively is going to be a top five guy anyway. Might have been in their draft range. Um, so I think Bilal Koulibaly would have been a guy on my list here, but you just took him the pick before. So we're going Derek Lively at 12 to OKC. I think the general effectiveness like of players like Mark Williams, Jalen Duren, and especially Walker Kessler uh, after the, in the draft last year is probably a, a part of the reason that lively stock has been boosting yeah. uh, the players like that. I mean, they're obviously not worth top picks like they used to be, but they still have very high floors in the NBA and can produce in certain ways as a rookie. So that, that's a great fit in OKC here. Number 13, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, 
I think honestly, this is actually very easy for me now. I'm going to go case on Wallace uh, at 13 here adds a little bit of size to that guard group that they have there, which reportedly Fred Van Vliet is no longer going to be a part of. He declined his player option going to be, or plans to decline his player option going to be a free agent this summer. Uh, I mean, you get, uh, he can kind of play case on, can kind of play off ball or on ball. There's, you know, some upside concerns about him as a scorer, but I mean, at worst, I think he's going to be somebody that can make shots for you in a lesser role, facilitate your offense, and be a very, very high-level defender. Maybe one through three, but definitely at both of the guard spots. Okay, last pick of the lottery for me, and I'm really struggling here. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open the floor. Any, any thoughts for the Pelicans at 14? I mean, they've kind of got players at all positions. Um, they've got like a few defensive minor guards and wings. They probably need some more shooting. Can never have enough of that. Maybe some insurance for Zion Williamson. Uh, but there's nothing here that really, really seems to click for me the way this board. I mean, what about Jordan Hawkins here? What about Jordan Hawkins as mm. a like an off-ball player? I, I know they have like CJ McCollum, but he's probably a little bit more of a kind of dribble pull-up guy. They don't really have a guy who runs off a ton of screens, Trey Murphy, but he's more of a spot-up guy than like an off-screen guy. Um, any of the names you want to throw out here for New Orleans? Hmm. New Orleans is actually the like one of the tougher teams that I I've, agree. You know, looking through like when I've done mock drafts myself or this one in particular, like they just they do have a lot of, you know, they're not they don't have a lot of depth in terms of like what a high level team would want, but they have a lot of depth for a team that's like, you know, in the late stages of a rebuild. So it's weird kind of to figure out who's going to slot in there. Maybe Derek Whitehead, this could be a landing spot. He doesn't have to play right away. Feels high. I feel, do they really want another injury guy, another injury issue guy? That's a a good point. What about Kobe Bufkin? Maybe, I mean, who knows how they feel about Kyra Lewis? That was a pretty recent investment, but they just drafted Dyson Daniels last year. This is the challenge, right? You you think they're projecting he's going to take that step forward at guard. Um, like you could just go for a shooter, like a Jet Howard type, um, Leonard Miller, but then like he clogs the paint a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, maybe Bryce Sensabaugh, but that's another, you know, you know I tell injury, you what. injury guy. But I mean, the shooting could help at least. Let's go upside swing. I'm, I'm not going to go Jordan Hawkins. I'm going to go Nick Smith Jr. Who better Ooh, to learn from? Who better to learn from than CJ McCollum on being yes. a small, undersized, like not true point guard? Um, like there's probably like some similarities in their game. Uh, CJ McCollum is on the downside of his career, and it gives them like an offensive spark plug option off their bench. Something that they they probably don't really have. They got a lot of the Alvarados, the Daniels types. They don't really have that guy off the bench to kind of come on and get them a bucket. So I'm going to go Nick Smith Jr. All right, I like it. Okay. On to 27. Straight on to 27. So reminder, everyone here, the rule is anyone who went before 27 in ESPN's mock is not available to us. So there are three guys on our shortlist for 27. Omax Prosper, Bryce Sensabar, who went at 33, I think, in ESPN's latest mock, and Derek Whitehead. Chase, where does your mind take you first for those three names? So, I mean the highest player on my board here is easily Bryce Sensabaugh. I have him at number 10. So snagging that type of player, regardless of like what type of player it is or where they fit on your team at 27, that I'm all for it. So I would clear, I would lean Sensabaugh pretty strongly, but I mean, 
in real in how things actually pan out, I'd be surprised yeah. if Sensabaugh is here. So I Omax would be my favor of like the you know consensus tw- top twenty prospect rather than somebody yeah. that's in my top ten. But Sensabaugh for me. I'm not the highest on Omax prospect. The guy, highest guy here on my board is Whitehead, then Sensabaugh. I've got Omax in the second round. However, I do wonder. Like he is, we heard from Rafael Barlow, he's the workout wonder, he's the high culture guy that teams are raving about. And I do think this team lacks a little bit of that kind of like charisma leadership. Um, and you know, you can never have too many six, seven, six, eight wings, you can defend and do everything. And the Charlotte don't have that many plus defenders on the wing. I mean, you've got Cody Martin, you've got maybe JT Thor at times, I think. Um, there's a little bit of crossover there with JT Thor, but maybe you just you take it and figure it out. Um, oh, I don't know. What do I think is most likely here? I mean, Tariq Whitehead, he's not going to be able to play Summer League, but he'll be available by training camp. That's the report. Um, maybe you look at him as a shooting option. What do you What do you think they're most likely to do here? Mm, see, I, th- I mean, if all three of these players were on the board, I probably... Hmm. I and they've only probably... worked out one. They've only worked right. out Omax of the yes. two. Obviously, Whitehead and Sensabar have been injured, so they've not been able to, to work out yet. But there have these been the reports about the guy who is most likely to, uh, you know, that Charlotte do like and value the workout. Uh, and we took Scoot first. So guard is less of a need here, hence why we don't have some of the guys on the shortlist. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. They already took a guard. Maybe I don't I don't know if the Hornets front office would think of it like this, but maybe you can kind of think of this microwave scoring type as being somebody that's on your team already in Bryce McGowan. So you'd move on from that. Maybe look towards more of a mm. versatile plug and play piece in Omax. Yeah. More size, defensive versatility. I don't know. I, I we, would I we're, we're gonna need that. We're gonna I, the, I, exactly. the team are gonna need that with Scoot and Lamello. They're gonna need all the defense they can get. I I think we go Omax here. I think there's too many yeah. defensive questions with Derek and Bryce, um, with how the board's played out, with how the roster projects. I think we go all Omax it's prosper at twenty seven. All right. And, hey, if, and if you add Scoot Henderson and Olivier Maxens Prosper with back to back picks, those are two of the best names in this entire draft. <laughs> and that counts for something. Absolutely. Okay, 34. Who's in our shortlist of guys to pick from 34, Chase? All right, so we already have Scoot and Omax, but for 34, we're going to look at a bunch, a couple, all of these players were still available in the ESPN mock. So it's Gigi Jackson, Trace Jackson Davis, Colby Jones, and Julian Phillips. It's kind of a mixture of players that could hopefully contribute sooner than later and guys that would most likely spend the whole season, if not the entire season, or most of the season in Greensboro this year. So where, where do you lean here for, for 34? And we have to keep in mind, too, that this is most likely a guaranteed contract, not a two-way. Yeah. So that is a roster spot for this player. This is a guy we want to be making an impact early. You know, this isn't a guy you're waiting, stashing in the Greensboro for, for two years. Um, I think we remove Julian Phillips after we take Omax with that first pick. I think there's too much overlap there in terms of like a defensive-minded wing um that would be kind of where my head immediately goes i also think phillips is a few years away i think he's more of a two-way guy for me rather than a guy you have a guaranteed contract with um my mind goes straight to trace jackson davis um yes charlotte are set a center but i think tjd could play some power forward as well could play some center i think we've seen steve clifford 
use post-minded players, Vucevic, Al Jefferson, in really positive situations in the NBA. And TJD is probably one of the most complete off, like offensive post uh, post players there is and one of the best passes there is out the post in the draft. And I think that would give Charlotte a different wrinkle that they don't really have of any of their other bigs to have that like post passer creator. And we've just seen in the NBA finals, bam, Jokic, these like bigs who can play as this playmaker at the top of the key. It can be really effective to kind of get some of your guards and wings open. So for me, like I just think rather than take the, the gamble on Gigi Jackson to be that kind of, you know, risky pick, we've, you know, we've already said that we want to improve things here. We've taken Omax. We've taken the, the high uh, work culture guy. That's where my mind goes, I think, to TJD. Totally with you. I, I in other situations, uh, depending on who the first two picks were, mm-hmm. I would probably go Gigi here. But uh, between TJD, Gigi, and Colby Jones, I would definitely take Trace Jackson Davis. One, he's a very underrated athlete, shot blocker, rim protector. Yeah, he and NBA, the- like he can play. He can play next year. He's yes. NBA ready, body wise, maturity wise, like basketball IQ. He's he's ready to go. Yeah, I can, and I think that even if he ends up not being a great shooter, or he's not a great shooter now, but even if that never improves, like I still think he's just going to be somebody that finds a way and does enough of those little things and dirty, like big man work, like down underneath the rim to be able to carve out a reasonably long career for himself. So I'm, I'm with you. We should, we should go TJD here and add kind of that third layer of big man insurance. All right. Moving on 39. We have shortlisted to Quavion Smith. City Sissoko, and I've just forgotten his first name, even though he's one of my favorite players in the draft. Walsh. I'm just going to go with Walsh. Jordan, was, Walsh. Jordan, Jordan Walsh. Walsh. I wanted to say Julian Walsh, and I was like, no, James, I'm just thinking <laughs> of Julian Phillips. Uh, Jordan Walsh. <laughs> I wrote a whole profile of him. We're like 900 words and Julian Walsh. But anyway, apparently that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> three guys who I think are all like, Especially Walsh and City are toolsy. Probably these are we're looking at two-way contracts now. Do you do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I Bryce McGowan's through my Wikipedia research is the highest drafted player to ever sign a two-way contract at 40 oh. last year. But I think that with the addition of the third two-way, I think that that range is gonna creep up a little bit just because players, you know, it's not necessarily like the be like, oh, I'm not gonna get a guaranteed contract. Now I'm gonna go undrafted because you can still work yourself off of these two ways as many teams have shown a willingness to do sign players off of a two-way contract onto a guaranteed contract after that, like mid season or something. Yep. Uh, and you, you still get, you, you get the experience of being drafted and you also are still essentially picking the team that you land at. You're you, you not it's to the same degree as going undrafted, but you can work out your situation a little bit that way uh, in this two-way range. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if players in like, Mid thirties are signing two ways, so I, I think thirty nine for sure is open to a two way. My pick of these three, the highest player on my board is easily CD. I and I, I really like the idea of pairing him and Scoot or keeping him and Scoot paired together. I think they had some pretty good chemistry, played off of each other pretty well, especially mm. in transition last year. He worked uh, out the Hornets as well. He did, he did, and that's a, another. This checks another box for us here. Um, uh, yeah, I think I'd probably go CD, but Jordan Walsh has been easily like in the last like couple weeks has been the biggest riser or player that I have 
you know, had the biggest change of heart on. Yes. Welcome to the Walsh. Have you got me in your first round yet? Like me? Yes, I do. Yes. He's at at number, I mean, at number 30. So uh, a very cheap. Yes. But I do, I do technically. Yeah. I mean the, such a high combination of like feel defensive acumen, playmaking, perfect like, guy, shooting. right? Like so many so, tools yeah. just needs to put it together. Yeah, just um, needs like a little bit of time and he'd he'd get it, but I hadn't even thought of the city scoot link. Um I believe I, I love the, City I love even that. said in his workout that um he would love to be end up being on the same team as Scoot again in, in the NBA. So um and again like I think both City and Walsh are like toolsy guys who've got like holes in the game they need to address. But I think they're both interesting. I think I think we go with Sissoko here. Like you say, that that friend of Scoop helped him bed in a little bit. Um, he's a good prospect for both of us. I, I don't know why he seems to have slipped in the pre-draft process. I didn't expect that to be the case. Um, but definitely like a, a late bloomer, upside swing, I think, for a two-way. Close between Walsh and City Sissoko, but I think we go City. Agreed. I'm with you on the stock thing. I'd, I'd be more surprised if he went in the 40s on draft night, like where he's at in the ESPN mock right yeah. now than if he went in the lottery, like, or in like the top 15 or 20, like it's, it's honestly pretty crazy, but yeah, the, the, I like, like the, uh, the upside and tools com- uh, play here at, at pick 39 with the first two way. Yeah. Nice to have some wing creation. There's something that Charlotte yeah. aren't really blessed with like wings who really handle the ball. And, and that's something that city, you know, really excels at big and strong as well. Uh, good athlete to get out and transition with the mellow. I, I like the pick. Um, okay. 41. Again, we're, we're still probably thinking two-way here. Who have we got at 41, Chase? All right, so a couple guys to pick from here. We're going to go Kobe Brown, Keontae Johnson, Julian Strother, Nadir Hefe. All four of these players have worked out for the Charlotte Hornets in this pre-draft process, so they're all on even footing as of now. Who do we like from this group here? And uh, Nadir Hefe would be a, a draft and stash player, most likely out of this group. So the first Kobe Brown, Keontae Johnson and Julian Strother for a two way or Nadir Hefe maybe for a draft and stash and go the undrafted route to fill out the rest of the two way slots. So I really like Kobe Brown. However, we've just taken Trace Jackson Davis and I don't think those are two guys who can play together. I think they duplicate each other too much. So I agree. In, in this case, I'm probably saying that like Kobe Brown isn't a guy who we want to probably want to be prioritizing here. Um, I think of the names you read, the one who I think makes most sense is like, we haven't yet got just a knockdown shooter at any of the positions. We've got like a lot of guys who do a lot of interesting things. Julian Straw, that would be the best shooter of the entire draft class. If we were to draft him, draft him down at 41. Um, and that's probably where I'm kind of leaning right now is let's just bring in an elite off ball floor spacer. Um, the other guy would be that you, you don't use the pick and we stash it, um, like you say, for Nadir Hefe, who, I mean, some of the listeners probably won't have even heard of it. You might need to give a bit of a brief on who exactly Nadir Hefe is and what position he plays. Yeah, I mean, I am pro- I mean, I don't know about it in terms of consensus, but I'm probably a little bit higher than the average uh, draft analyst on Nadir Hefe. He's a 6'3", like, point uh, initiating, leaning combo guard. Uh, he's really, really fast and has a lot of very impressive, like one-handed live dribble passing flashes. He makes a ton of really good reads uh, in transition and in the half court. Uh, he can he tends to settle for, you know, tough shots and can make some poor decisions as a ball handler in terms of just driving into traffic in the half court. 
uh, and definitely has a long way to go in terms of his physical frame. And it isn't like a superb athlete outside of his speed. But I mean, this is, this is the type of player in my mind that you want to stash overseas. He's just a guy that has a bunch of athletic tools and has shown flashes of, you know, the unteachable things in terms of like playmaking and feel uh, just needs to be able to put it all together and learn how to shoot a little bit. But yeah, well, I, I, I like Hefe and Strother, I think are probably my two as much as I like Keontae and hope that his career pans out for him after what happened uh, at Florida a couple years ago. It's a close one. I think with the addition of three two-way slots, which means that Charlotte will have the option here and they've already filled one, like we said, with probably City. Um, I think we go Strother. I think we get a knockdown shooter into the program. Um, you know, develop him in Greensboro, see how he clicks in there, see if you can work on his defense a little bit. If he can become a, a passable NBA defender, he'll be a player and he'll be in rotations. So I think, yeah, let's get it. Let's get a shooter in the building. I think, you know, you can get some other shooters, some of your, your Chris Murray's, um, maybe your Maxwell Lewis. All these guys are going much, much higher than Julian Strother, probably just due to their like more physical, athletically gifts. But he's, you know, got that floater, which is just absolutely perfect. It means he doesn't really need to get to the rim because he can just get to this floater and, He's been on good teams. He's been a good glue guy teammate. I, I like the pick. All right. I'm into it. That's a, that's a quality value pick, I think. The Julian Strother at 41 on a two-way, if that actually happened in real life, would be one of the better yeah. value plays in the draft, I think, given their consensus stock pre-draft. So to recap our quick draft here, we went Scoot Henderson at number two, Omax Prosper at 27, Trace Jackson Davis at 34, City Sissoko at 39, and Julian Strother at 41. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the mock draft. Give us a grade if you want to uh, for me and Chase playing GM here for, for what we could do. And I hope you're all looking forward to the draft on Thursday. We will be back with a live draft show right after the draft, published the next day with all the reactions, all of our thoughts straight away.